You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Susan Henderson. She's one of the hosts of Lit Park, an NPR radio program. Thank you for joining me, Susan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Susan, tell me how you became involved in writing and literature. Were you an English major in college? Um, I applied as a biomedical engineering student (laughs) at Carnegie Mellon. And then I, I slowly changed majors to biology, psychology, and then I graduated in creative writing. Boy, I started, Which was my first love. <laughs> <laughs> I started out as a pre-med at UC Irvine. Uh-huh. And uh, after, I took, when I took, after I took Oakley Hall's class in uh, American literature, I said, this, this pre-med stuff is easy and boring. I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> then I became a creative writing major. Nice. Well, the challenge is there for sure. Yeah, the challenge is definitely there. Uh, so um, when you graduated with this highly useful creative writing degree, <laughs> yes. uh, did you just go right to, uh, say, uh, Walmart or one of the big uh, or a giant corporations and say, I, I, you need a creative writer? Yes, it was a piece <laughs> of cake. <laughs> when I was um, my, in my senior year at CMU, I um, was awarded the undergraduate degree from the Academy of American Poets. And they say degree, I'm an award. And I thought I had made it. And we, as a senior project, had to apply you know, had to send our stuff out, and I sent out five things, and they all got published. So I thought I had it made, mm-hmm. and then as a poet, as a poet, wow. And and then I got my first rejection, and I couldn't write for ten years after that. I it absolutely smushed me. I wasn't tough yet, so I went to graduate school in psychology, at Vanderbilt, and I became a sexual abuse uh, counselor for a while and mm-hmm. then the writing just kept eating at me it's mm-hmm. like I did you write all this time even when you you stopped writing you said I stopped writing mm. I stopped writing and then um what made you start again I the stories were after me mm-hmm. I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would just have a string of words I I had to write down or I would just kind of lose it and um I would be driving and and I still do this I'm terrible about writing while I'm driving and I'm, I'm reaching around for gas receipts, and I'll write down these words. So after a while, I had drawers full of these small slips of paper and gas receipts with small little things written on them. And um, my first way of getting back into writing was to try to take, like, 500 small pieces of things and create a story out of them, which is a very frustrating, chaotic way to write. Well, now, that's really interesting. Uh, it, it seems to me, strikes me that there's kind of like a, uh, recovery process you had to go through, <laughs> I guess, because you had spent most of college writing and, and yeah. getting a, a being affirmed in that, right? And then getting that rejection is like a was a, a traumatic experience for you. So it's interesting the way you 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 came back from that with the and, and I love this expression that the stories were after you. Yeah. What what kind of stories? And did you read during this time? Yeah, I read a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem is when I read, if I read something that I love, it just it's spark I have to close the book. There's certain people that I read, William Maxwell or Tim O'Brien, Carson McCullers that I'll read two sentences and I just got to close the book cuz I I I want to live with that sentence for 
you know, a while. I'm just like breathless with something. And so there was no logical reason for me to ever go back to writing because I don't like rejection and it's very hard and all mm. those things. But the, the stories just wanted to be told. So I just, I kind of got back into it privately. And then I, um, I was reading the paper one day and they had a, an advertisement for this place called Zoe Trope, which was an online writer's workshop. Mm -hmm. And I submitted something and it just kind of got back into the atmosphere of writers. And that's probably where it restarted, reignited. Now, um, Zoetrope, that's a Coppola production. Yeah. And, and that, there are the, there, that magazine is a highly prestigious magazine. So you got something published in Zoetrope? Yeah, I have a, I have a story called Penny. Mm -hmm. And I th you could probably Google Penny, Zoetrope, Susan Henderson and find it. But they had a they have an online workshop, and mm -hmm. so a lot of it was just being around other writers. I, I realized, oh, okay, these are my people, and the things that I was experiencing, and the the fear of failure and all that. It, they all felt that. Mm. And it yeah. helped. Now, how did it work on an online workshop? I mean, how do, how does that work for you? I mean, do you do you is it interchanges of email or is it uh, participation in kind of some uh, people message board? People can post, yeah, it's a little like that. People can post stories mm -hmm. and then you can critique them. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I probably like editing as much as I like writing. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, you would print up a story that interested you for some reason or that you were pressured <laughs> into reading and you would critique them and then they might critique yours. And, y and you would slowly find the people that were the most helpful and then you would kind of group off that way. You told me a, a few of the writers you like, Carson uh -huh. Colors, uh, William Maxwell. Um, give me an idea of what your taste is in both what you write and what you read. Uh, let's see. I, I like writing that's really fierce, it, like fiercely honest in some way. Someone who can walk right towards the things that would make you shut your eyes. Mm. Like right towards shame or they can stay in that moment that that other writers tend to, you know, push through. Mm -hmm. And I like, part of why I like Tim O'Brien so much is he he takes a situation and he keeps turning it so the truth keeps changing. And mm -hmm. he just shows the kind of the malleability of truth. And I, I like him. And I like, um, I don't write at all like Amy Bender, but I, I love her work. It, it's um, It's kind of, it's not magical realism. It's just kind of weird. Like she, she lets her mind just kind of go into a weird direction. She should take up cigarette smoking and start uh, hosting the Twilight Zone. Oh again. yeah, she <laughs> should. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she should. She needs a show. I love Dennis Johnson, mm -hmm. Jesus' son. I love. Um, and then, and then I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of the Greeks. I'm, you know, I, mm -hmm. I love Homer, and you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've read the Aeneid, and and you know. Oristia and all those things. I love. I love the Greeks. Now, uh, so you started out. You're you're at Zoetrope, and you're you're finding your uh, your feet again. Mm -hmm. when, you know, it interests me that um, you experienced a moment of, I, I guess, shame and fear, and, and that's the kind of writing you're drawn to. And, and yeah. Is that, and that's the kind of is that the kind of writing you do? Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely. Um, I, who I think it was F, F. Scott Fitzgerald, but he said he says write. Um, I'm I'm going to be misquoting him, <laughs> but write what humiliates you. That's that's so interesting to me because I've talked to a, a couple of other people at uh, the Squaw Valley community of writers, and the, this idea of 
fear, humiliation, embarrassment. Um, It seems like we're all just trying to write fiction that's cringeworthy. Yeah, (laughs) I think, well, I... I, th- I think the attraction to that is that we all walk in the world with our suits and our, you know, our personas and we have our resume and we have the way that we want people to see us. And then we carry our, our real selves kind of in the, this hidden way. Mm-hmm. And what I love about fiction, I, the thing I love the most about fiction is that's where you can tell the truth because that's where you can put the whole person on the page, not just the persona. And that's where you can really fiercely go towards what what's eating at somebody or, or what keeps getting in the way of their relationships. And Now, you started out writing poetry. Then mm-hmm. you went, you decided to write short stories. What made you decide to write a short story instead of just continuing uh, poetry? I think it was um, because I don't like to read poetry. <laughs> <laughs> well, there bit. you go. That's a <laughs> Oops. Um, I realize I it, some poets I really like, mm-hmm. like Langston Hughes. I love I love Rita Dove, um, but a lot of poetry was just it felt like a, a trick. Mm-hmm. Like here's something you won't understand. And um, what I love about poets is their um, the minimalism. Mm-hmm. I, I love how. They can say something in a small space, and they don't waste words. And so I took that to my short story writing, Mm -hmm. and I found at first that wasn't very helpful. Now I find it's a really helpful gift, but at first I wrote these way too tightly packed, dense stories, Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't learn how to breathe and how to pace the story. But I was just around short story writers. I was reading more. Mm-hmm. And um, I found that I had longer things to tell. I didn't want to just stop in a moment and look at it. I, w- I wanted movement. Mm-hmm. I started to crave, you know, something's got to happen. <laughs> um, and and so I just moved in that direction. What were you doing to pay the bills during this time? And, and could you talk about the, you know, the, the conversation between the writing life and the, the working life and the rest of life? Yeah. Um, I was working as a counselor mm-hmm. at a place called um, Pittsburgh Action Against Rape, and mm-hmm. I, I saw, you know, mostly teenagers, but also uh, my youngest was four, and, you know, I had I had middle-aged clients. I found when I was a counselor that the reason I liked counseling is because I like observing. It's mm-hmm. the same instinct I have as a writer. I like to observe, so mm-hmm. I like to hear the stories, but I didn't necessarily like engaging <laughs> <laughs> the people part, not as much. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I would um, I would have uh, a counseling session, and then any second I was supposed to be writing notes on counseling things, but every time like someone would talk to me and it would spark stories, I would be in my office with the door shut <laughs> writing short stories. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that happened in every... And I, I also did, you know, teaching here and there, and I found that I kept... Um, coming up with reasons why I needed to write a, a booklet for whatever organization I was working for or I needed to somehow summer I just found like I was trying to make writing the the crux of every job that I did mm-hmm. um, so again it was just like the stories were after me I, I like that phrase that's a wonderful phrase <laughs> I think that it, that ought to be stitched on every writer's t-shirt Oh, so let me tell you why I left counseling. This was actually, I, I was pregnant. I had lost my first child, and I, I was pregnant with my, my second. And it looked like the pregnancy wasn't going to go well, so I was put on bed rest. 
the people that I worked with kind of made it clear that there wasn't going to be a position if I took too much time off. So I was trapped in bed rest and I was watching, um, it was during the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm -hmm. And I watched like the O.J. Simpson trial from morning to the Geraldo wrap up at the end of <laughs> the night. And when my, my son was born, I actually have only watched TV maybe twice since the O.J. Simpson trial because I was so absolutely burned out. I've, you know, I watch Steelers games, but that's it. And I, um, I didn't go back to work. I started, I started writing. I no longer had TV in my life. I no mm. longer had work in my life. I had this old baby. And whenever he slept, I, st I just started writing. And uh, and then I was around these peers at Zoetrope, where I, I started learning about submitting to literary magazines and stuff. And I just it just kind of overtook me. Could you talk a little bit about the process of submitting to literary magazines? Uh, How much fun is that? <laughs> it, I. You sweat blood on a story for two months. Yeah. You endure the the, the fires of hell to to get out the best part. Uh huh. You, you send it out to twenty magazines who reject it and then the one who finally accepts it pays you six, uh, 675 yes <laughs> well, no they don't pay six <laughs> don't you wish you got 675 you could get a copy yeah yeah you you toughen up you toughen up you and i used to save all the rejections and mm -hmm. and then i uh, a friend of mine said throw them away and it was the best thing i ever learned to do so mm -hmm. i threw away my rejections but um I even went through a, a stage where I would like foresee the rejection I would get. Like you write to see my see Mike Curtis at um, Atlantic Monthly, and you would he would say, you know, you just knew he was going to say, "Well, I liked the promise of the first sentence." <laughs> <laughs> I, you know. Well, that's better than the form letter. <laughs> no, but it's actually not that hard a game to play. Mm -hmm. It, with the literary reviews, if you read them, mm -hmm. if you read them and you go to AWP, if you go to readings, AWP, uh, I don't know what it stands for. It's a it's a big conference. Maybe it's a an East Coast thing. Mm -hmm. um, and if you go to readings and if you read a lot, I think the most important thing for a writer is that you read and read and read and read and read good stuff mm -hmm. um, and and diverse stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but pretty soon you start making better choices of who to send to. Mm -hmm. And when I was a when I was an editor, I used to edit at a magazine called um, Night Train Magazine out mm -hmm. of Boston. Although my part of it was online. And what I found is if you can send your work to the top editor, mm -hmm. at whether, either by permission or or for whatever reason, mm -hmm. you have a much better chance. Um, because if you if you go in through the slush pile, let's say eight people have to send your story forward, mm -hmm. and if you send it to the top person at the magazine, one or two people have to like your story mm -hmm. and send it forward. So that's a trick. Go to the masthead. Go to the masthead. What made you decide to to start writing a novel? I mean, was that something that you'd always wanted to do, or do you did you start reading a lot of novels? Uh, no. The, do you want to hear a very sad story? I had written a short story collection. I, mm. I, I finally had written enough stories, and it was like, oh, okay, it's all the same character. And it, if you put them in a certain order, it actually tells a pretty good story. So I, um, on whim, I was reading a book. Um, 
I won't say who because you'll start to know who I'm talking about here and there. But uh, I was reading a book and I was like, wow, this is looks like what I write. I wonder if I should look for an agent. And I looked in the acknowledgments mm -hmm. and uh, found um, who represented this person mm -hmm. and emailed her. And five minutes later, she wanted to read my stuff. She was, I guess she was sitting by her computer. I, I had typed in my synopsis kind of on the fly, how I tend to work. And... Um, and then a week later, I had signed with her, and she sent the the short story collection to several places, and and four people got back, and one was um, the vice president of Viking, mm -hmm. and she said she loved, loved, loved it, and would I consider? It, and I thought that meant a sale at mm -hmm. the time. This is the learning curve. Okay, this is a, this is what we want to hear about. Okay, and she said, would you mind turning your short story collection into a novel. I was like, yay. Th I, thought, I thought I had a book deal. So I turned it into a novel, and then um, my agent resubmitted it. And I just, the, we got like a one-sentence thing back that said, I thought it would be bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was the beginning of like the long and torturous process of finding out. Then later I, I had a lunch with somebody from... Um, Random House mm -hmm. ab about the now novel version and they said we love 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 it I, I felt like I was at a rock concert and I was on stage and they were holding lighters and they said I wonder if the story ended if you should end it here well where they said here was actually page 23 uh, <laughs> <laughs> that could and, be a problem and then write what happens before page 23 and then so I did that <laughs> and and they actually didn't even respond to the rewrite Oh mine. So, so now you've written two no you've written, you've got you started out with a short story collection. Let's keep track of this. Okay. You wrote some short stories and they turned out to be about the same character. Yes. You put them in order. Mm -hmm. You turned in the short story collection to Viking who love loved loved it. Yes. They but three they, times. But they wanted a novel. Yeah. And you turned into the novel and uh once you gave that to them, they sent it back to you, thought it should be bigger. Yeah. <laughs> Then you turn in the novel to a random house who tells you that they want you to write the first 370, <laughs> 275 pages yes. and discard the last 275 pages. Yes. And I did that. <laughs> and I did that. And so no response. And so eventually my agent said, well, this is dead. You really want to hear this whole story? Oh, yeah. No, this is exactly what we want to hear. Now, okay. the question is, is, is how are you feeling through this? I mean, are, are you going home and crying, or are you just... I, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're... No. I, um, too bad they can't see your He-Man pose on <laughs> the radio. Um, I, I could not, like, pick my face up off the carpet, mm. pretty much, mm. um, which is a little bit, like, you know, sometimes that's, like, a normal phase for me, but mm -hmm. it was just, like, a continuous feeling of just utter working really hard mm -hmm. to get a sense of failure and rejection in your life. You know, mm -hmm. like, you, it, was like it, it was like a hard way to get exactly what you don't want. Mm -hmm. So finally, this agent said, I love this book so much, but I, I've shopped it out and we can't sell it. And so, so then I wrote a, a memoir and she said, okay, I don't actually do memoir, et cetera. There, there's some more chapters in this. But then, so what finally happened is I'm now agentless. Mm -hmm. And I wrote on my blog... Um, hey, does anybody know? I'm I'm gonna submit this without an agent. Does anyone know who to send? So, I I got some ideas, 
and I actually got um, some some good people. You know, people wanted some publishers wanted to see this. So you submitted to to publishers without an agent. Without an agent, and I got a yes from St. Martin's mm -hmm. on this book. So I finally got my yes, and then um, I I got um, I, once again very difficult edits on it. So I I I somehow had dismantled the book so much that I couldn't find the book anymore. As I was editing, I I somehow it became like 400 pages of strings of sentences and I didn't know <laughs> where they went. I'm not sure how this happened. So while all this was happening, I was at a party and I met this guy who is now my agent. And it, we got along so great until he said, I'm an agent. And so I was like, oh, I, I can't tell you how much I don't like agents. And he said, well, let me give you my card. I said, no, I won't take it. And he said, well, let me just take yours. I said, no, I, you can't have it. Wow. So, so that's then, persistence. Yeah. So, the, but the next day, he had um, he had Googled me, and I had Googled him, and we ended up having a phone conversation. And um, and the long story short is, he talked me into breaking contract with St. Martin's. I finally had a bird in the hand. He had me um, buy the book back from St. Martin's. We reworked the book together, and now finally, I just re I just sold it, like the the book that it's. You know, <laughs> this had this long journey. I just sold it. Could you talk a little bit ab about uh, crafting crafting this book? It, it, it's it's what we in the science fiction business call a fix up, <laughs> <laughs> which is a, a a term invented by uh, A. E. Van Vogt, who Vogt, who was a science fiction writer who published a lot of stuff in the pulps, and then he just take his stories and cram them together and uh -huh. they became actually very famous novels of weapon shops of Isher and stuff that now you read and you can't how could they even publish this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about uh, writing a fix-up novel well I don't recommend it <laughs> this way mostly what I learned is what I'm not gonna be doing on the next one the, mm -hmm. the, the next one I've been writing is just like speeding through because I have a I learned like the the glory of outlining and knowing what you're doing beforehand and stuff. Oh, you're an but, uh, outliner now. Now I'm uh, oh my, oh my, that now, you, that's a rare species. Now I think <laughs> of everything that I want to do first. Mm -hmm. um, because what I felt like, what I told my agent it was like, and then I'll tell you the exact process, but it's kind of like planting a really beautiful garden and getting it exactly how you want to. Mm -hmm. And then realizing that you, you needed to put the plumbing underneath. Mm. Mm -hmm. or, or worse, it's like having, like creating a human being out of clay and then realizing you need to put bones <laughs> inside. <laughs> and, and so now the way I write is I do the bones first, or I do mm -hmm. the plumbing first. Uh -huh. and, and, then I, and then I get all excited about individual sentences and things like that. But um, the way I crafted my fix-up novel is I started with probably a hefty bag size, you know, bag full of these small gas receipts with sentences and images that I liked on it and built them, you know, into stories and the stories into, you know, trying to sew them together. Now, now when's your novel coming out and what's it titled? It's called The Ruby Cup. It's um, coming out with HarperCollins in um, September 2010. So tell me just a little bit about the novel. What's, give us a sense of what you're writing about. That What... Slightly less than is going to be on the dust jacket. Because okay. I always find those are too, yeah, tell me too much. Too much. Um, a mother goes missing, and her eight-year-old daughter finds her living in a secret room in her basement. 
Well, this is very... Set in 1975, it covers a single year. Wow, that sounds fascinating. And it also sounds a little bit dark and twisted. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 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 You don't strike me as a dark and twisted person, sunny and, and happy. Could you talk about creating... You know, you have the a background as as a counselor in mm-hmm. trauma. I mean, the most the, the most horrible experiences that human beings can have, you, you help people get through them. Mm-hmm. Did, did that help you get through the the writing process? Yeah, I I think because the goal is what what is keeping this person from rising to their their full potential and and um the the narrator in my story the, the little girl is, is naturally buoyant that's mm-hmm. that's just her temperament mm-hmm. but she's in a very um a dark situation mm-hmm. so i i and i keep uh, they say torture your narrator and mm-hmm. i do mm-hmm. um and and you see what she's made of now <laughs> So, so have you thought up a, 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 your new narrator that you've thought up? Have you thought up a, a, a similar level of torture? <laughs> For what? For my new project? Yeah. Yeah, my new project is is basically Frankenstein meets uh, the beauty myth. <laughs> <laughs> I got really um, transfixed by. Um, I kept getting stuff in the mail. These here's ways that you cannot be old. Here's ways you cannot have wrinkles and stuff. And I had this torn feeling about it. And I was wa- and I got mesmerized by um, these face transplants that they started doing, and, mm-hmm. and then I like it all went together, like fear of aging, and and all the the more and more drastic things women do to stay young looking, and and then and I was um, in the middle of reading Frankenstein, and it was like, it, and it was all going together, and and so yeah, I have I have a new idea for my new book, and it's I'm very much torturing everyone. No, that sounds wonderful. In every way. <laughs> that, Even with scalpels my, now. Uh, <laughs> my readers will like that. <laughs> Trust right. me. Um, could you talk about the, the Squaw Valley community of writers? Is this your first time at the workshop? This is my first time. What made you sign up for it? Um, I, I kept getting for years things in the mail about it, and, and I would friends would go, and then their careers would take off, and I would kind of watch them in awe. And, and each time I looked at the... Um, submission process I thought well I can't pay for that so this year you know it was the terrible economy we got hit in our family too and I thought and eh, why not <laughs> <laughs> I said I'll just apply and then I'll see and I I, um, I got a nice uh, scholarship and also I'm vacuuming to oh. help pay for housing <laughs> which I find I like and it's incredible I mean it's incredible I mean First of all, just you wake up and it, it's so beautiful. And it, it, mm-hmm. You know, you smell the pine and there's these little animals that I don't recognize running around. The workshops, you learn just as much whether they're workshopping your story or mm-hmm. someone else's story. Mm-hmm. You have a different teacher each, each day. And you see different ways of looking at stories and different ways of improving stories from very different personality types. And it's been incredible. Is workshopping like kind of part of your, has that always been part of your writing process? No, I'm an isolationist by nature, you oh, know, with my writing. And so I did the zoetrope for a while, and mm-hmm. then I, I, I would say I pulled back. I, I've been writing in isolation for a good while. 
And uh, so this is, it, it's interesting to come back into kind of a, a community. Now, you, you do work for National Public Radio. I, in pilot stage. In pilot stage. In tell pilot tell stage. us about the, 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 the Lit Park pilot stage. Well, Lit, Lit Park is my blog. The, mm -hmm. the, the NPR show is called Dime Stories, mm -hmm. and it's um, produced in pilot stage by Jay Allison, who mm -hmm. does the program This I Believe, and um, the, he oversees This American Life, so he knows what he's doing. And Dime Stories is these three-minute stories that the authors read themselves. Mm -hmm. We're not looking for grand readers, you know, and they can be fiction or nonfiction. And it's just, can you entertain us in three minutes, you know? And so we've been getting, in the pilot stage, we have like this guy, Jack Handley, he did Saturday Night Live, he did Deep Thoughts. Mm -hmm. And he, he has a story in our pilot season. And and I think the way it works is they're going to try to stick these three-minute pieces to the ends of programs mm -hmm. that, that you know, finished early and have a little spare room. And then hopefully we get our, our time slot, which is what we're moving towards right now. And I, um, I've, I've heard that it's got a good shot right now. This sounds like the uh, spoken word equivalent of the three-minute hit single. Yeah. Maybe that's what we needed as a tagline to yes. get this going. <laughs> Good. Well, you're welcome to use I it. I will use my it. Blessing. <laughs> I've been speaking with Susan Henderson. She's a blogger at Lit Park. She's working on Dime Stories, and she has a novel coming out in the fall, which is titled... The Ruby Cup. The Ruby Cup. Thank you for joining me, Susan. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.